On this episode, I'm joined by Randy Atkinson of Capstar Lending. We talk about the effects recent bank failures are having on the real estate market, how it's not good to compare the current market to 2006 or 2021, and what's going into homebuyers' decisions when they are deciding to buy a home in today's market or wait things out a little longer. I hope you enjoyed the episode and would love it if you'd subscribe to the podcast. This is Real Estate Insights with Troy Schlicker. Welcome back to Real Estate Insights. We're here with Troy Schlicker. Today I am joined by Randy Atkinson at Capstar Lending. How's it going today, Randy? It is going great. Good to hear. Enjoying some of this nicer, warm weather and stuff that's happening here in Austin. It's why I, it's why I know originally moved down here was to not be dealing with snow in February and March, which my parents are still dealing with. So I'm pretty happy to <laughs> not be dealing with that at all. Are you? I can't remember. Are you originally from the area here? Or? Yes, I've been here all my life. So you're, you just have no desire to go up to the snow part of it that way. You're like, no, zero. Whatsoever. I like to visit it and that's yes. it. It's a, it is. Yeah. It's a, it's fun to experience from time to time, but to not have to deal with on a regular basis is definitely not, not for me. the way to go about it. Obviously some interesting things happening in the world of finance and mortgages and real estate this week. Definitely want to talk about that and probably again, the elephant in the room that we maybe don't want to dig too deep into because neither of us are financial analysts or some of those kind of things, but the failure of a couple of large banks in the United States, primarily Silicon Valley Bank out in Silicon Valley, not surprisingly, has dominated the real estate and financial news the last week or so. I think it happened the very end of last week. Do you have any thoughts or things you'd want to maybe say about that at all? Yeah, what I'm saying. So again, like you said, I am not. Uh, I'm not the smartest guy in the room as far as investments and those kind of things. I can tell you about mortgage loans all day long, but what I am seeing is a lot of movement from different buckets to the bond bucket, for the mortgage bond bucket. And what I mean by that is, with everything that's transpired over the last, let's say, end of last week and the beginning of this week rates have been trading, mortgage bonds have been trading at a way more favorable level, and that's driving interest rates down. And although they're not take your breath away better rates, from last week to this week, we've seen almost a point movement in interest rate, which is a big one in our world. Usually we only see maybe an eighth or less whenever the market moves. And rates are a lot more favorable than what they have been and they're trending in a more positive direction for people that are going to be getting financing to buy a home or to refinance a home it's a pretty interesting thing and we were talking before we came on and you hit it it looks like people are moving their money from what they deem more risky investments to more conservative investments and right now that looks to be mortgage bonds yeah and then that like, like what a lot of people don't necessarily know or realize, which you're not, if they're not in the business, it's not necessarily a big thing for them to realize, but that right. The, the, everyone talks about the fed rate and while the fed rate does impact interest rates, mortgage interest rates to a degree, the rates are more tied to 10 year treasury bonds. And so because right. of that bank, the bank failure there, there's one in New York has scared investors as a whole to maybe want to back out of some of those banks and put their money in something really safe. And there's not a whole lot that's more safe than U.S. Treasuries. And so because of the additional money that's flowed into there, that's brought the rate of those down, simple supply and demand side of things. And so that has made mortgage interest rates also decline. I think I was reading somewhere else as well that the thought 
potentially was that maybe because of what has happened, that the Fed might be less inclined to want to raise rates based on inflation, which would also keep mortgage rates a little bit lower. I don't know for sure if that's truly going to happen, especially now that it sounds like the Fed's, Fed is going to come in and backstop the depositors of those banks to make sure that they're whole so that maybe it won't impact their interest rate decisions going forward. But uh, the mortgage interest rate market is a fluid one. Again, not usually a whole point in one week time frame, but it's definitely one of those that is continually moving with the market as a whole versus just making changes once a quarter when the Fed talks about raising or lowering interest rates. Right. Yeah. We're, like you said, the 10-year treasury today opened up and it's it opened up at 3.7. It's at 3.44 right now. And that's driving mortgage rates further down. So we're all, we're at like a 70 basis points improvement so far today. And that's been the consensus all week. I don't know, going back to what you said, I don't know what the Fed will do the next time they meet. There was a sentiment that we were going to see another half a point raise in the bank rate. I've heard that it's going to be more like a quarter. I read this morning that they're talking about not even raising it at all at this point. So a lot of the fun, exciting things happening in the financial world. Yeah. And I will say that the other part for on the mortgage rate side of things is it reminds me of the price of gas and the fact that as those treasuries fall, the in- mortgage rates tend to fall, but at a little bit slower clip trailing it. But yep. when those rates yep. rise, they tend to rise just really fast. Like the investor side of things want to make sure they're they're not losing money the same way. Gas companies want to make sure they're not sure. losing money on their product and stuff as well. I've also seen in the news because of those that reduction in interest rates that there's been a spike in mortgage activity. And I'm always a little, in general, a little leery of some of the information that's put out there about that. Like obviously a full point in interest rate deduction might bring someone to want to refinance who has had a seven and a half percent rate and now might be able to get a six and a half percent rate. But I, in my experience, not that many people are not buying a home because the rate's at seven and then suddenly if it went to six and a half, they're ready to buy a home. That's not been my experience with most customers. Yeah. If it, when it was three versus seven, that makes a difference, but it's rare that we see that big of a spread, even in a year time frame. And for you, are you seeing a lot of activity just because of that interest rate going down the half to a full point in the last week or so? No. What I typically see, Troy, is clients are usually two to three weeks behind what's going on in the market at that moment. So whenever rates dipped in the beginning of February, I really saw an influx of clients about two weeks, two and a half weeks later. And then the rates had already started to tick back up. And then the conversation was, I thought rates dropped, but it seems like they're not, they're about the same. And that's what I'm seeing too. So like rates right now dropping does not necessarily equate to a lot of people pulling the trigger. You don't don't suddenly have your eye on, oh, there's this house that I want to buy. And I just got to need to wait until rates drop to where I want them to. And now I can buy it. Like usually that house in a lot of cases may not be there just because as much as the market has changed, it's how good homes are still going at a relatively good clip and stuff. And so it's the, the psyche of how people shop for homes. It's usually a much more personal decision on when kind of the time is right for you. And yes, interest rates impact how much you can qualify for, how much you're willing to pay that you feel comfortable having as a monthly payment and stuff. But it's again, in my experience, 
it's not necessarily a, oh, there's a small drop in rates and that suddenly br- opens the floodgates of people looking to buy a home. That's just not how it goes. So that's the another one, kind of one of those things where the headlines don't really strike a balance with reality. Yeah, usually you see that particular scenario with either somebody trying to refinance and time the market or investors looking to utilize financing to buy an investment property because there's less emotion involved. If it's a primary residence purchase or even a second home, really it's driven more by emotion and want versus trying to make the most out of an investment. No. Does that make sense? hundred percent. Yeah. It's more, it's again, yeah. the emotion or a matter of circumstance, right? Like I, where right. our kids now are suddenly going from three years old to five years old and they have to start going to school. We want to move into a better school district. And so we're going to make that move where we suddenly are having twins now. So we need to get out of the three bedroom house because there's not going to be enough space for them. We're getting, a, yes. we're getting a divorce. So we don't need this huge house anymore. Yeah, those are the kind of things that tend to be the reason that an individual person makes the decision to buy or sell a home versus just, oh, that quarter of a percent interest rate is going to save me $40 a month on my payment. Now I'm ready to start. With that being said, what are you seeing in the market just as a whole, right? Again, I feel like there's a lot of kind of conflicting information. Again, you see the headlines going back to the interest rates drop, right? The he- it's a great headline to say interest rates drop and they'll only have dropped a quarter of a point, but see, people see that they dropped and in their mind, it's like it went from 7% to 5%, which is rarely the yeah. case, right? But the headline said interest rates drop. But again, I feel like a lot of, it's again, a very interesting market. Having been in real estate now for a decade, it's it feels like what's some of the new stuff and even what people are experiencing individually is just all over the map as far as should I buy, should I wait? Because you have a lot of homes on the real estate, um, as a realtor, I see a lot of homes that are going, are being sold in the first weekend in five or five or six days of being on the market. Now they don't have they they don't have, and they shouldn't have the 30 offers that they did two years ago. That was an abnormality for most of last year. We weren't seeing any homes really go that quickly in the market. And so it definitely feels like there is some renewed activity, but there's also feels like there's a decent amount of caution with other people as well, too. Yeah, I'm definitely seeing the same thing. I think a lot of it has to do with location. Obviously, it's that old real estate adage, location, location. Um, Amenities, what the property has to offer. But there is one thing that I wanted to go back. You touched on it, and I think it's something that's pretty valuable and not many people think about this. And I was reminded, and I lose sight of it as well, but how much interest rate really drives payment. And at the end of the day, Let's be honest, very few people are going to buy a home, get a 30 year note and stay in the house for 30 years. The average person moves between every seven to nine years. If you're looking at my personal family, it's about every three years, but you don't really realize the long-term effect of whatever financing you took in place, you took on if you took a 30 year note. So really we're talking about what the monthly payment is and do we, can we afford that monthly payment? Is that something that we're comfortable with? All of those things. I ran numbers just yesterday on a three quarters of a million dollar loan. So we're talking about $750,000. Every eighth of a point adjustment in rate moved that payment $62 a month. It's not very much. So whenever people hear interest rates have changed and we went from five and a half to six, that's a huge difference in in the psyche, but then you start to run the math 
and it's really not that much. So when the rates do drop, it's okay, rates dropped, it's time to do it. Maybe I saved $120 a month. And not to take anything away from $120, right? But for most people who can afford a home in Austin because it's not cheap to, to live here, your the income level that you're having to afford a $750,000 home or $750,000 loan amount means you're making a hundred plus thousand dollars a year, even with a 20% or 30% down payment in that case. And don't get me wrong, every, if any, almost anyone you talk to, whether you're a millionaire or making minimum wage, if you said, Hey, here's $300, almost anyone would take that. But that doesn't necessarily, it isn't going to necessarily make or break someone who's making a hundred or $150,000 as a family to get the home that they really want in the neighborhood that they want assuming that it's within reach right now there's a difference if you want to live in cedar park or westlake hills home prices are different you're not going to be able to necessarily just make that make the move down from cedar park to westlake just because you want to but if you're if you have a budget that you can qualify for and then a payment that you're relatively comfortable with a lot of times the 50 dollars a month isn't necessary isn't the isn't a, the straw that broke the camel's back to not being able to afford right. that home with that being said, I know we were talking a little bit you beforehand as well, too, about the market and that you have been seeing also ramped up activity level. Does that is that, again, in comparison to the end of last year where there was no activity? How does that feel? And it's not going to be what it was 2021, 2020, early 2022 levels, I'm sure. Right. But yeah, that's OK. That was no, a again, wild time. Did, I own a home, so I'm really happy my home appreciate as much as it did those two years. But right. in reality, that's not a great thing for almost any market. So I don't, we don't, I don't want us to go back to that, the, that level of home price appreciation because it wasn't, it, other than you owned a home and your home appreciated, yay, it wasn't a great thing for people trying to sell. It was definitely not a great thing for people trying to buy and it wasn't a great thing for affordability. So definitely don't right. want to get back to that levels. But as someone who's been in the business for a longer period of time, like what in your experience, what does is there anything that you can compare this market to from a feel standpoint in the past? I will say that it's starting to feel more, <clears throat> more like a healthy market. Houses go on. If they're priced appropriately, they go off. If they're not, the market dictates that they're not priced according or appropriately and they sit. But even if there is a home that is to be sold and let's say it has a lot of deferred maintenance to be done, if it's priced appropriately, it's going to sell. And I think that's more in line with a healthy market. What we saw a couple years ago was not a healthy market. And there are a lot of things that, that drove that. The inventory was so tight that homes were selling for way over asking price. The problem is, or was, and even still is to this day, <clears throat> if something like that is going on, sellers are more reluctant to sell because then they realize on the other end, they're probably going to have to get back into the market because they're going to need somewhere to live. And so then less people will put their houses on the market, even if there's money to be made, just because they're afraid on the back end, how are they going to get into a house? Yeah. No. So now we're not really seeing that. There are still multiple offers, but it's, I wouldn't say it's few and far between, but it's not as common. Sure. Definitely not as common. And again, when it happens, it's two or three offers instead of 20 or 30. Right. Yeah. And I definitely had people right. in 2021, 2022, where it was like, yeah, we think about selling and moving somewhere else, but we don't want to get caught 
you know, having our house be sold. And now we're in this bidding war on the other side and we're A, without a home, which is a big thing for people not to have a place to live, but also now you're losing out on the, you've sold your home. So you're not, that's not appreciated anymore, but now you're riding the wave of home prices going up a lot more. So definitely people weren't, I, there were definitely plenty of people who didn't sell beca because of the dynamics there. To me, it definitely kind of feels more like a 2017, 18 and 19 kind of scenario where here in Austin, at least inventory is still relatively low. And like you say, a good home doesn't just sit on the market. You can't, if you're really interested in a neighborhood or a specific type of home or some, something very specific, you can't just twiddle your thumbs and be like, I'll get around to it when I want to. You have to be ready to make a decision relatively quickly. That being said, like you say, it's not just any home that's going to go go for sale. You can't list your home at any price point. People, buyers understand what where prices should be. And in a lot of cases, sellers are having to acquiesce to some closing cost, paying for some closing costs, paying for some repairs, doing some things here or there as buyers have more leverage than they've had the last few years. Yep. Yep. 100% agree. With that, like a lot of home buyers, right? So again, a lot of the buyers that I'm seeing too are people that have owned a home. And so like when you've done that, if your home's gone up 30, 40% in the last couple of years, you have a lot more equity to put down on your next home, which can be very helpful for people with, as you're moving from a low interest rate to a higher interest rate, if you, the more money you can put down, that means the less mortgage you have at a high interest rate. But for a lot of people, that's not really an option to, to put down 20% or more. And mm -hmm. what are some of the different options out there? I think a lot of times, especially first time home buyers, because they haven't been through the process before, but even second and third time home buyers who haven't been through the process for five, six, seven, 10 years or more, don't always necessarily know some of the different financing options that might be available to them to help them get into a property if that's the right decision for them. So that way they can start building that equity versus continuing to rent and pay that money to somebody else. Yeah. First time home buyer in my world is somebody that has not owned real estate in the last three years. Okay. So even if somebody has pur purchased a home in the past, but over the last three year period, they have not owned they're considered a first time home buyer. That's also somebody's buying the very first house. They can buy a house with as little as 3% down. So it's minimal out of pocket. And then so to think about, they're going to have the 3% down and then they're going to have their three buckets on top of that. There's going to be cost. That's the cost of the loan, the bank's cost, any third party fees like title company fees, state county recording, things like that. Then they're going to have prepaid. So things that they pay for at closing that pays for something in advance, like interest, pay a premium interest at closing. And then also one year of homeowner's insurance will be paid at closing. So as soon as they take ownership, that house will be insured. So if lightning hits the house, as soon as they buy it and it burns it down, it's going to get rebuilt. And then you're going to have an escrow account for taxes and insurance An escrow accounts, a fancy term for a savings account. And we're going to put two months of homeowner's insurance in reserve. We're going to put three months of property taxes in reserve. So that being said, you're probably looking at your 3% plus close to probably $15,000 worth of cost prepaids and escrow. So total cash to close for a first time home buyer is not take your breath away too much. As you start to get into the different types of loan programs, if somebody has owned a home over the last three years, they can still put as little as three and a half percent down up to a certain amount, then we're looking at 5%, 10%, et cetera, et cetera. 
the really cool thing is when you start to understand how financing works, you can leverage it to work for you. And what I mean by that is I had some clients that are past clients of mine. They own a house currently. They're in the scenario that you mentioned earlier. Their family is growing. They're going to, they've got one kiddo, they've got another one on the way and they just need more space. The house they own right now is in a great neighborhood, but they're going to sell it to buy the next house, but they don't really want to sell it before they find the house because they would be left without a home with a child, a small child, and they don't really want to show their house while they're still living at it because again, they have a small child and anybody that has kiddos that understands just keeping a house somewhat tidy when you're not trying to have company or show it is difficult. And then the stress of that trying to sell your house and do that same time can be over the top. So what they're doing is they're going to buy the next house, which is going to be a fairly more expensive house, typically falls into the jumbo range. And the jumbo range for us means any loan or any financed amount um, greater than what Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac will insure. And right now that limit is 726,200. So they're actually going to finance more than that. Typically when you get into that jumbo range, most jumbo investors want 20% down, but because we have a good relationship, we understand what they're looking to do. We talk through it and go, okay, let's do 10% down. We're going to finance a first loan at 726 and then a second loan for the remaining amount, let them move into the new house, get their house ready, prepare the departing residents, how ready prepared, get it sold. And when they sell it, they're going to take the net proceeds and pay off the second lien. So then they just have that one mortgage out on the new house. And then when interest rates drop, they're going to come back and refinance with a lower rate, plus takes additional net, net proceeds from the sale and pay down that mortgage. So they're going to work the system to make it work for them. Does that make sense? It does to me hundred percent, obviously as a former loan officer and currently in the real estate world, it does. But again, it's one of those things that I think a lot of people, especially first time home buyers don't realize sometimes what their options are. And so it's one of the reasons that I really advocate for people to get relationships with a realtor, with mortgage loan officers, with financial advisors. So that way you can have these conversations versus just trying to Google something because yes, you'll probably find accurate information, but a lot of times it's much more broad based. It'll say, oh yeah, you can get a home with less than 3% down, but it won't have some of the information. It's rare to see the information about first and second liens or in the last time we talked about bridge loans. And so some of the, some of the small details that really make the difference in setting you up for the most success are harder to find and harder to understand. And so having that actual conversation a few months ahead of finding the next home, because that's the other thing that happens is someone finds the home that they want and now they're running around trying to get all those pieces in place, which makes it a lot more challenging to get set up properly. But having contacts that can assist you and answer questions and even be able to tell you, hey, this doesn't make sense for you. Maybe now is not the time because it would take you from a, your current home that's at a 3% interest rate to the new home that's going to be at six and a half, seven percent And being able to give honest feedback and find those people is an extremely valuable resource when trying to deal with buying or selling a home. I think you hit the nail on the head. The biggest piece of the puzzle is time. And one of the conversations that I have with clients and I've had this conversation through the years is time 
is on our side until it's not. And when somebody comes to me and says, hey, I found a house and I want to make an offer, time is already off, not on our side, because we haven't done any of the financials prior to that. The clients that I mentioned just a moment ago, we had this conversation three months ago. So we got and we took our time and got it prepared and worked through it and answered questions. So they really felt comfortable about how we were going to structure this. And then they started looking at homes and the first two or three homes did not work out for one reason or another. Either they got beat out by another offer or there was something that came up. They just decided to walk away. But then when they finally found the right house, it wasn't just another piece of the puzzle they had to worry with. It was already taken care of and they knew which route they were going to go. Going to back what you're saying, time is a huge, huge piece in the whole process of buying a home. And a lot of people, unfortunately, don't realize that and just wake up some days and go, hey, let's go look at some open houses. And then all of a sudden they found their dream house and then it's a whirlwind roller coaster and it's not always the best. It, def it definitely leads experience. to a much usually the experience is much worse when you do it that way. And yes, in a lot of cases, it adds a ton of stress, even if it does all end up working out, that usually adds a ton of stress to what's already going to be a stressful situation. It doesn't matter if you've bought or sold five or six homes, buying a home, especially when it's your personal home with an investor is a little different. They're a little less emotion attached, but if it's your personal home, even if you've bought a handful of them, there is stress involved. Like you said, you guys tend to move every three years. That doesn't mean there's not stress involved when you're going through the process to do it and you're in the business, right? Like it's, right. Still, it's still stressful. And so the more you can plan for that process, the better things are going to be. And I think, again, part of the reason that people don't come and work, come earlier and work, get a plan in place one is they don't sometimes don't realize that's the process, right? If you, especially if you've never bought a home before, you don't understand that's how you should do it. But then two, I think, I do think it's because so much of today's life is on demand and instant buy types of things. Like we, you don't realize that there are still a handful of different things out there where it's super valuable to have resources and connections to help you through the process. And so this is, this is one of those things where, you know, having a good, Again, a good mortgage loan officer that you can bounce ideas off of and ask questions about. Having an accountant in a lot of cases is super helpful. There's a reason that the most successful people in the world have these types of people. And guess what? Talking to a loan officer, talking to a realtor doesn't cost any money, assuming you're not blowing us up 24 hours a day. <laughs> and then you charge them, right? I've never gotten to that point. And I can't, ima <laughs> I can't imagine that I would. But well, if I ever have to cross that bridge, we'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah. Cool. What uh, any kind of ideas or thoughts on where things might go from here? Obviously, this is one thousand percent, one thousand percent speculation. But I do yeah. wonder with this dip in rates, now that the Fed has backed the depositors' side of these banks, if things start to settle down, if that might lead to interest rates going back up over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, this is just completely speculative at this point, but I'm thinking that with what's going on, we're going to see us not necessarily a sharp tick down in mortgage rates, but I think we're going to start to see a, sl a slow, steady downturn. Um, we've had a couple pretty big announcements with the banks and then also inflation data and the job data. The people that are smarter than me point to May 10th, when I believe is a big inflation report set to come out. And then from there, the 
the consensus we're going to start to continually really go down in, in interest rates at that point. Now, as to what that really means, I don't know if we're going to get down into the fives again, who knows? I've had some people say, Hey, at some point may not happen this year, but next year we, we could back, be back into the, to the high fours. I'm not holding my breath on that, but I am seeing some good positive movement as far as mortgage rates right now and optimistic that will continue to happen through the remainder of this month and so forth and so on. Yeah. No, definitely the news that you hear for the over the course of the year seems as if interest rates hopefully will start to come down a little bit since the spike obviously that has happened is supposed to help with the inflation side of things, which once that is a little more under control would allow them to lower interest rates a bit that way. Again, I do wonder in the very near term, just because of all the craziness that's gone on, if that might, if we might see a little bit of an uptick in the near, near term, but yeah, hopefully we can get a little bit, let's say around the high fives, at least low sixes by the end of the year and just stabilize that side of things. And again, obviously it's, there's a lot of factors that'll in, indicate where the interest rate should be, but I know it's been pretty obvious over the last 15 plus years or so that the federal government wants to keep rates relatively low if they can, because it just spurns growth in all kinds of different sectors. And so that's good for people looking at buying homes as well too, but they just want to hopefully get some of the other things that they should have taken care of a little bit earlier this time around under control. So. Yep. We will see. Cool. I appreciate you jumping on the podcast today and let's get back to writing those big loans. I appreciate you too. And it was fun as always. Thanks a lot. Talk to you later. All right. See ya.